0: Welcome back to the CityWire Funds Fanatic podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden. After a short summer break, I'm here talking to Chetan Sego, the lead fund manager of Templeton Emerging Markets, which is the oldest and with a market value of nearly £2 billion, the biggest of the global emerging markets investment trusts listed on the London Stock Exchange. Hello, Chetan, thanks for joining us. Um, you're calling from Singapore, aren't you?
1: That's right, Gavin. Nice okay, to well, be on lo- your podcast. Yes, well,
0: sir. lovely to have you, and you're the first global emerging markets fund manager I've had on the podcast. And uh, it's striking, you know, looking at the asset class, the, the markets in which you invest. You know, overall, given how challenging a year it's been, um, the overall performance of emerging markets has proved surprisingly resilient. I think uh, when I was looking at the figures yesterday um, in the emerging markets index is up a little bit, up, was up 1.6%. The shares of uh, your trust were broadly flat, um, You know, after a sharp rebound from the, the, what was a very tough march, I think. But um, I think normally we'd expect a lot more you know, to emerging markets to have fared um, a lot more badly given the, the prospects of a global recession and all the turmoil that's been going on. What, what's, what's behind this better than expected performance?
1: Uh, thank you, Gavin. Uh, well, we are surprised as well uh, in terms of the market performance, but you know, you have to diverse between the market performance and the economies. Uh, the economies have suffered quite a lot, uh, especially emerging markets like Brazil, India, uh, which have been impacted by the COVID pandemic. Um, the other markets like China, Korea, Taiwan, which are the other large parts of the gem universe, Uh, There, the impact of COVID has not been that severe, although it's been there as well. Uh, But, you know, you have to divorce the markets and the economies because the markets essentially comprise uh, securities, uh, which have very, very little to do with the underlying economy. Uh, There's far more tech in the markets. And and those uh, secular trends in in technology, etc., they still continue and continue very, very strongly. Uh, in this pandemic, and one can even argue that some of these companies have actually benefited as a result of the pandemic. So, so it's not that surprising that the overall emerging markets are actually up as compared to the weakness in the economies.
0: Does the does that reflect the fact that emerging markets? You know, it's a huge sort of area that gets kind of. Uh, Collated into one sort of simple category but um, does that reflect that emerging markets themselves have changed you know in, in the previous years or decades or crises um, they would have been more vulnerable because they'd have been more linked to uh, commodities and, and raw resources uh, and now the economies are more much more sophisticated
1: That's right. Uh, so if you go back uh, you know to the last crisis which was there in uh, the global financial crisis, Uh, energy and materials were over 40% of the index. And now they are a fraction of that. uh, In fact, energy and materials together are less than 15% of the emerging market index. Whereas technology stocks, whether it be communication services, retail, internet retail, uh, you know, those and semiconductors and hardware, those are now much larger parts of the index. So those constitute nearly uh, 40% or above 40% of the emerging markets index. And those have in in fact benefited as a result of the pandemic. So, so, you know, people are sitting at home, they are playing games, they are watching, uh, you know, internet television, Uh, they are doing retail shopping online. Uh, The cloud businesses have started doing very well because a lot of the uh, companies are moving their uh, products onto the cloud. So so to that extent, uh, the emerging market index today reflects A lot of the new economy and those have really benefited because of pandemic.
0: Okay, so yes, a lot of people have been talking about the the new normal. You know, the trends you're referring to, people working from home, uh, having more time to surf on the internet and do online shopping and that sort of thing. You know, these um, how how do you view these changes? Are Are these short term changes or are these profounder long term changes that we're seeing? And if they're the latter, how are they affecting um, the emerging markets.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a combination of both. Uh, some of it is definitely going to be profound and remain for a long time. But you know, if you make an assumption that we do get a vaccine, which I hope we do, and and once one, once all of us are vaccinated, I think there will be a uh, there will be for an initial period of time going back to the old ways. Because people miss the old ways as well, you know, socializing in pubs and, and going to the theater, seeing movies, uh, going on vacation, right? How many of us have had a chance to go on vacation this year? So, so I think all, many of the real-life experiences uh, will, will come back in vogue uh, once we get a vaccine, etc. But some of the other stuff like, you know, shopping online and buying groceries online, which, which are really not very involved uh, decisions, they will stick uh, become online and and from the company's point of view uh, you know they they have um, i think they've really found that being on the internet having cloud uh, uh, a business on cloud really actually improves their own performance as well so so those those trends may still continue and and you might have a situation where many companies make it optional for their employees to remain in a work from home kind of environment so you know, you there may not be any rush to go back to offices.
0: No, I, I, I can I can I can see that from personal experience. That seems to be the case. I'm I'm not expecting to be working in as a office uh, regularly until until probably uh, next year at this rate. So um, I better get used to, to to speaking to people like you from my sitting room, which is absolutely fine. But um, the. the Templeton Emerging Markets has actually changed quite a lot in recent years. You, you, you became lead manager of, of the investment trust uh, uh, in early 2018. You were after the departure of uh, Carlos Hardenberg. And there have been quite a few changes because obviously, probably even now, you know, the investment trust is best known for having been uh, founded and launched and uh, run for many years by Mark, by Mark Mobius. Um but uh, how has uh, Temit, how has Templeton Emerging Markets changed since uh, Mark Mobius stepped back, which is now five years ago?
1: That's right. So I, I had the pleasure of working for Mark for over 23 years, uh, and I've learned a lot from Mark. Uh, but but you know the market environment has changed and processes have you know have become more robust over a period of time. So so every year you know we have learning experiences and and the market has changed as well. So so there's been a lot of change that way. A uh, lot of it is continuum, uh, you know. But but the market has also changed. So so no longer is commodities, energy, materials a very large part of the index. There's more tech uh, businesses which have come in. And um many of those have now found their way into our portfolios as compared to previously. So that has been some uh, some change which has happened and and there is an evolution because consumer preferences also keep changing. I mean, if you say five years back how much was I buying on the internet as compared to what I'm doing today, there's a big difference in uh, in that behavior as well. so so I think um, the trust has also evolved so you know if you go back to, the early uh, 90s, and, and and it was very different from what it was in the 2000s, and it's very different from what it was in 2010, and now it is quite different from what it was in 2010. So so there's been an evolution of uh, some sort. And on uh, on ourselves, I think we, we pride ourselves in the a number of different locations where we are present in. Uh, the kind of analysts which we have is basically local analysts who are giving us uh, bottom-up information. Uh, our commitment to value as a philosophy has not changed. Uh, we are uh, looking at companies which have a sustainable earning power uh, in, in our portfolio. So that is where our focus is. And we want to buy these companies at, uh, at a discount to their intrinsic worth. So, so we remain to being a committed, long-term, fundamental investor.
0: Yes, exactly. So some some things don't change, but the the way that uh, the you uh, have moved the portfolio, continued to move the portfolio into uh, technology stocks, growth stocks, uh, has been um, a really prominent uh, feature, and uh, shareholders have have benefited. Uh, The performance uh, has improved since uh, since those changes were made, since uh, uh, Mark Mobius stepped back, and uh, since you uh, got involved. over two, two years ago. Um, but I'm just wondering, we're just speaking right now on Friday Friday morning, Friday the 4th, um, there's just been a uh, pronounced sell-off uh, in US tech stocks um, overnight. Um, who knows where that's... I'm just curious as well where you think that might be going. Um, is it just a, a bit of profit-taking after the extraordinary uh, run that some of these big stocks have had? Or, or could it be the start of... Uh, something more serious?
1: Yeah, so, you know, personally, I don't track or we don't track as an emerging markets group uh, what happens in the US, uh, but we are mindful of the trends. Uh, some of the trends are prevalent in emerging markets as well. And and our f- uh, philosophy is really we have to be aware of what valuations we are paying for the companies which we own. And we are perfectly comfortable owning many of these companies, uh, even at this stage. So, so, yes, there could be corrections uh, which happen. Uh, but we are very confident about the long-term prospects of many of the securities which we own.
0: Yeah, but um, it's striking, isn't it? I mean, the the portfolio, uh, is it fair to say the portfolio is is, is reliant on quite a narrow band of of stocks? Uh, Some of your best performers are uh, uh, the Taiwanese chipmaker, TSMC, um, Samsung Electronics in South Korea, but um, in China, Alibaba and Tencent, those internet uh, giants um and there's another company I, I don't know at all so well uh navar in uh, in south korea at south korea's largest internet search engine you put together those five stocks that represents about 40 percent of uh, templeton emerging markets um uh, what is that is that you just being um you know showing your conviction as a stock picker or uh, is, is is that a little uh, uh how safe is that uh, after such a strong run? Are you? Are you um, how are you approaching evaluations of some of these companies when they've been doing so very well?
1: Yeah, so I think it goes back to philosophy. You know, so we are looking at companies which have sustainable earning power, and we want to buy them at a discount to their worth. So, but there are very few companies which actually, uh, you know, go into that filter because. You know, you you know, you have technology change, you have trade war issues, you have pandemic, uh, you have so many other issues which are there, and and to find uh, companies which really have sustainable earning power, I think is going to be quite difficult, and and this is where we are actually positioned in in these companies because we truly believe that these companies have sustainable earning power, and each of them has actually proved their metal uh, in the downturn as well. So. So, so for I'll give you some examples, like for example, TSMC uh, has uh, you know been a market leader, but for the first time they have gained share and even business from one of their largest uh, competitors, which is Intel. And uh, you know, and they've gained leadership. Similarly, Samsung is the lowest cost producer of memory, and as as you go into cloud businesses, memory demand is good, and Samsung's. Uh, you know, the lowest cost position and technology position helps them. They also benefit with the ban on Huawei because, you know, more and more people are using Samsung gear and Samsung phones. So so they are quite well positioned there. Uh, similarly, a company like Tencent, uh, you know, they have benefited because of the games. Uh, but, you know, it's a very unique business model and people don't realize it that, not, you know, they started with a game company, then they got into WeChat, which is now in part of some controversy, but then they get into uh, finance, which is, uh, you know, WePay and 10 cent pay. And-, and then they get into uh, video, long form video into music. Uh, so it's a company which has been able to adapt under various different environments. They also have very large investments in things like JD, Metwan. They also own a chunk of Tesla, you know, and which has done extremely very well for them. So so many of these companies have, uh, you know, not only they have been able to evolve their business and this is what we are looking for because, you know, you don't want to be invested in a company which is a a one-trick pony because the environment may change. Uh, You want management teams which have the flexibility to adapt to different environments and come out well and and that's what the uh, Tencent and Alibaba ecosystem have done. You look at a company like Naver, uh, which we own and which you talked about. You know, it started as a search engine. First of all, not many search engines have had a market share greater than Google in any market, and Naver is one of them. But from search, they have evolved into commerce and e-commerce, and they have a sh- you know Shopify kind of smart store, and and now they are doing uh, uh, e-commerce as well. So, so we are looking for these companies which are able to uh, uh, adopt and adapt and and move forward because we don't want to get uh, stuck in in technology which can get obsolete 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 over a period of time.
0: Okay, so you're you're, you're confident about the, the prospects of those uh, five big tech uh, stocks? Um, what changes did you make to the portfolio either during or after the uh, that that March sell-off? Uh, it, presumably provided you with buying opportunities? Were you increasing your stakes in some of these tech companies or were you uh, using it to uh, uh, find new opportunities?
1: Yeah, so, you know, coming coming back to your earlier question, you know, we like these companies, but we are very mindful of valuation because, you know, our job is also to buy these at a discount to their in our assessment of the intrinsic worth. Uh, well, uh, so March actually, uh, you know, th- so there's a period uh, when we thought, that the uh, covid crisis would be very isolated and and china had taken steps to you know uh, rein in uh, covid in in a particular province uh, like uh, and in wuhan etc so so we thought it will be very isolated and it will not become a global pandemic and to be honest uh, we were caught a little off guard uh, with the spread of the virus and and uh, did not probably act uh, fast enough in in some of those actions and at that point it basically uh, it happened the the decline in the market happened over over a few weeks you know and there was a, a huge amount of and there was an issue with the oil uh, you know the, the russia uh, saudi arabia uh, agreement on oil also had fallen through so so to, to we did a little bit pre uh, uh, pre covid and we moved a little bit of the assets out of china into uh, markets uh, into latin america for you know and and we thought that latin america would be safe because you know the virus is in china and uh, the virus will not be able to travel that far <laughs> but it reached everywhere uh, the pandemic spread everywhere and uh, and, and, and brazil is
0: and, and brazil has suffered uh, countries like brazil have suffered more than anywhere uh, i correct, think is what you saying
1: yeah. yeah yeah so so we we did get impacted and but but the question is not you know how how you anticipate these changes because these are this was very dynamic. The question is, post pandemic, what did we do? So, we reassessed, we had engagement with all our companies, uh, we made changes in our portfolio. So, we had uh, you know, pre so when it was just a uh, you know, a China uh, isolated in China, or when we felt it was really isolated in China, we had reduced exposure to some of the uh, gaming. Uh, companies and uh, reduced well, we thought that that sector will be in trouble we had reduced uh, some of the banks in china where where we felt that you know the government will uh, there'll be an excessive cost which will be born uh, so we had reduced banks and along the way we've actually added uh, technology stocks you know so so the way we actually uh, measure ourselves and this is more internal more than external you know you guys look at how we've done against benchmark or peers or whatever, but we also see how our actions have actually added value. So, you know, so we look at ourselves versus our own stale portfolios, you know. So if you start on December 31st uh, and, and you held a stale portfolio versus what you have as a portfolio now, how has your actual portfolio done as compared to a stale uh, portfolio performance, and we've done reasonably well in that as well. So we've added a little bit of value. You know, some of it is you know being taking advantage of volatility in the markets. Uh, some of it is repositioning, uh, moving away from some of these uh, you know banking and levered companies into uh, into the you know the tech companies which have done quite well. And uh, and the other thing which we look at is you know, our, we say sustainable earning power at a discount and, and a good measure for us is really our relative return on assets of the companies which we own uh, versus the price earning ratio of what we own as compared to the market. And, and we have uh, remained in more profitable, less levered uh, companies and at cheaper valuations as compared to the market. So so to that extent our portfolio is uh, you know reflects what we are really trying to do and as i said we've also added a little bit of value not so much uh, in the current year as well
0: okay well, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good uh, combination of stocks then um, could you tell me a little bit more about uh, 10 cent music because that was a, a stock uh, a spin off from 10 cent that you added to the portfolio um, what do you like about 10 cent music
1: Yeah, so we added it at a very opportune time. And, uh, you know, uh, know, the the issue is also about uh, weights. You know, you also mentioned that we are concentrated. uh, But the fact is that, you know, we measure ourselves on active weights. And therefore, if there is a, uh, you know, uh, 8% weight in the index, and you're really liking the stock, and you want to be active weight, and you are at 10%, you can only add 2% of active weight. So, so to that extent, I think Tencent was a good uh, Tencent Music was a good ad. Uh, we got some exposure of it because it's owned by uh, Tencent, uh, but not to the extent which we wanted. And therefore, we added uh, Tencent Music uh, at at probably a very good time. Uh, so, so this company is a, a mixture of uh, uh, Spotify and 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 things like Smool, I don't know whether you. Seen that app, uh, you know, smooth. You have karaoke uh, singing and and live performances, etc. So, so they they get revenue from two sources. One is subscription. Uh, as you know, the co- cost of content in China is still very low, and people don't really realize it that uh, the Chinese customer is paying a fraction uh, for uh, entertainment services uh, as as uh, you know per per uh, on a monthly subscription basis. As compared to the westerners, so so one is that you're getting subscription revenue. Uh, the second is also you get the social uh, revenue in this business because you know people like to so people are stuck at home, they want to sing with their friends. Then they have these virtual rooms and karaoke's and you know and and then you can also have these uh, famous actors, uh, famous singers come on to the to the platform and and people like to sing along with the star. You know, hmm. so so that is there, and and then people they there there's a tipping culture in China as well, so it's a very interesting business model. Uh, they it make It sounds money. fun.
0: It sounds fun, Chetan. Um, and it's generating revenues, but uh, is it generating profits? I wonder.
1: Yeah, so it is generating profits. It is generating a lot of cash flow. Uh, they also have a, a stake in uh, uh, in Spotify, and 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 as I said, the number of subscribers are increasing quite exponentially. Uh, they are still, you know, the paying ratio is still very low in China. Uh, so you know not only will the subscribers continue to grow, uh, but also the over a period of time the ASP and the uh, revenue per subscriber will grow. Uh, they've also launched um, you know the uh, the long form. So there's a group company called China Literature which owns a lot of the literature. So so they they have these podcasts and these audiobooks as well on their platform. So so it's a very interesting combination and very unique and generating cash. And uh, and uh, and that's why we find that company quite uh, resilient. And then when we bought it, uh, it was at a significant discount. You know, we took advantage of the market meltdown in adding to that stock.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for talking about that that stock. And looking going back to more of a sort of macroeconomic uh, picture of just how are you viewing the uh, the, the forthcoming U.S. election? Because uh, traditionally, you. Know, the direction of the uh, the, the dollar uh, has a big influence on uh, appetite or performance of uh, emerging markets. So uh, you know, clearly, um, the political risks are, are rising um, as, uh, as as that contest is uh, you know gets into full swing. How are you? How are you viewing it? What are the risks and opportunities uh, that might come your way?
1: Yeah, so I think on the currency side, we don't take too much of a view on you know how how the currencies are going to uh, pan out and you know whether the U.S. dollar will be strengthening or weakening. But 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 the other thing which has happened is that as I said, emerging markets are no longer dependent on commodities, which get in, impacted much more by interest rates as as compared to the consumer side. And interest rates, by and large, you know, nominal interest rates in most of the world are reasonably low and and there's no expectation that they will go up in a hurry. Um, whereas the, uh, if you look at the election, I mean, for some sectors, they, there could be a lot of dramatic changes, like, for example, energy policy of the US. And on the geopolitics, you know, there could be some changes, whether, uh, you know, the relationship with China will always come up or, or whether there's some kind of settlement with Iran or whatever, you know. So those are there. Uh, but we don't look at it, uh, you know, I think the impact on emerging markets, this time round will not be that significant. Um, I think no, there are a lot about, of. Structure. What about
0: the tensions, Chetan? What about the tensions between the US and and, and China? Um, it, you know, it seems that uh, you know whoever ends up in the White House, uh, that the, those are going to remain as um, one superpower tries to face off another one. Um, yeah. You know, how exposed are you to to you know the risk of sanctions and that sort of thing from the US against Chinese companies?
1: yeah so so as i said you know that those secular trends may not be a result of the election so not, not too much will might change even if uh, there's a change in guard at the white house uh and and you know you look at it from the perspective of china and the us like so the us is uh, you know quite clear that they want clean networks and they want uh, to have uh, you know control over the networks and, and and the apps which are coming into the the U.S. and I think the same is goes uh, true, uh, is true with China as well. That you know, China doesn't allow all the apps to actually function in China. Uh, similarly, so so this is there and and over a period of time, I think uh, China. You know, th- right now, uh, China is more dependent on U.S. technology as compared to U.S. being dependent on Chinese technology. So so China has its task cut out that they need to uh, build this, and I don't think they will stop. Um, their process, irrespective of who comes into the White House, because they want to have self-sufficiency and they're working towards, uh, you know, uh, trying to have, I mean, it's going to be a very uh, difficult, uh, uh, you know, situation for them to do it over the next many decades. Uh, but China does want to have some self-sufficiency in, in technology resources. So so I think that is a long-term trend and and there is a lot of pressure. Um, so, so from our point of view, you know, we uh, uh we look at sustainable earning power and this is one of those important questions which we try to answer in our ownership of Samsung and TSMC because we think that these two companies, which are a large part of Temit portfolio, are quite resilient uh, because uh, we don't see uh, either US uh, nor, Ch- nor China have uh, have the capacity to uh, you know really move these two companies out of their supply chain. So yeah. so at, uh, to this extent, these two companies are quite resilient. Uh, there are moves which are making, you know, some manufacturing is shifting around from Taiwan into China and, and, and from, uh, you know, so those things are happening. Uh, but uh, but, but we, so we are very careful about those uh, companies, you know, which are benefiting uh, at the current juncture because of one policy or the other. And, and therefore, we just keep stress testing our scenarios uh, while making the ownership decision.
0: And, and looking at the, the global uh, economy and how it's been affected by the pandemic, you know, how resilient are these companies going to have to be? How testing are the uh, economic conditions? Uh, you know, are, are you seeing you know, China return to growth in the second quarter? You know, are, are you positive? Are you seeing the rebound continuing or um, is it weakening? What, what's your view on, the, uh, on, on economic growth overall?
1: So, so as a result of the pandemic, I think all economies have weakened. You know, and uh, and the governments have more debt, and and the consumers, you know, are are you know the banks are more cautious. Uh, the consumer leverage is at risk. The only thing which we which is in favour is really that nominal interest rates are quite low, and therefore the governments feel that you know the pain can be borne, uh, which is there. Uh, but but you have to also look at long term trends because as as you know people invest in technology there is also productivity being unleashed in the economy you know a, a zoom can do much more uh, today and you know we are having this conversation over zoom uh, so 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 to that extent i think you have to keep that in mind as well that there are secular trends which are at play and uh, and and therefore you need to be in companies which can take advantage of those uh, secular trends and um, but but on on balance i think overall economies will take a long time to uh, come back to normal and and um, uh, you know so it will take a long time and we we think that you know it's only a true normalization really is a 2022 kind of event not even 2021 even okay. though we expect a vaccine in 2021.
0: Okay, and is that caution then uh, your caution about prospects expressed in the in the gearing? So the investment trust can uh, borrow money uh, to invest more on behalf of sh- shareholders. You've got a quite a substantial uh, borrowing facility, but I think at the moment you're not not using it, are you?
1: So we we have uh, used it. You know, we have actually uh, half of the borrowing has actually been drawn down and. You know, we used it uh, at, at times, you know, for example, when, when there was, uh, you know, market mayhem, uh, you know, the discount on the trust also widened. And, you know, so the just, so the board has a prerogative to do buybacks. So, so you know, the buybacks are also taking place. We also, you know, took advantage. But we are actually quite tactical about it. You know, we are if we see the opportunity, uh, we will invest. Uh, uh, we will not really uh, just you know, keep ourselves fully invested on, on a levered basis. Okay. So whenever the opportunity comes down, uh, comes in, we actually uh, use that as as something.
0: But currently, are you geared or are you ungeared at the moment?
1: No. So we have to drawn drawn down the leverage, uh, but but we may we may not have fully deployed it okay. in the market. Yeah. All
0: right. So there's a bit of cash there. If, That's if, right. you, if you want to use it, got you. Okay. Um, you mentioned the the discounts actually. So yeah, at, at the moment, uh, Templeton Emerging Markets shares are trading around. Uh, 12% below their uh, underlying net asset value, which um, so indicates it's uh, a bit of a bargain there. You know, you're buying something of uh, 12% cheaper than it should be. But that's about the average of the past year. So uh, it, it presumably widened out quite a lot in March, but has, has come back in again. Um, I'm just wondering, does the trust have, do you know, does the trust have a target around uh, the discounts? You know, with the buybacks that are trying to narrow that discount, uh, it, what's it? What are they trying to achieve? What's the
1: uh, desired so, so level? So th- that uh, you know, the buybacks and all is really the prerogative of the board, and of course, you know, so the bo- board makes that decision. Um We've not really communicated any, uh, you know, any discount level or discount range, and really, it is for the board to. Uh, answer that question. You know, no, fair from, enough. You're, you're, from,
0: the, you're the fund manager. I understand. Yeah. Um, my,
1: from, my, from my point of view, they expect me you know, to outperform the index and do well against the peers as well. And, and our belief is that if we continue to do that on an ongoing basis, then over a period of time, clients will have more faith and and hopefully the discount will narrow.
0: You know. Yeah. Okay. And um, well, and and in thinking of your job as the fund manager, you actually are not working alone. Of course, you've got uh, teams of analysts to, to, to help you in, in the various uh, offices around the world. But you've also got a co-manager in Andrew Ness, who um, who, who joined you uh, also in two thousand and eighteen. Um, but he's based uh, in Edinburgh, and uh, you're based in Singapore. How, how does that work? How the, how do the two of you uh, work together? over such a distance
1: yeah so so you know the previous manager carlos was uh, also based uh, you know in in the uk and and uh, you know we used to interact as well and and you know you must remember that we are really an emerging markets team uh, you know we have you know 80 and analysts portfolio managers located all over the world and so and, and in fact actually things have only got better because you know our structure was like this even in the early nineteen nineties, when when you know travel was not there, communication skills were not were not communication equipment was not there. There was no Zoom, etc. So so now it's actually become much more easier uh, to communicate. Um, Andrew, you know, adds a lot of uh, you know perspective, a very different perspective. So so we both have really spent twenty five years in emerging markets each and. And uh, we have totally different, uh, you know, we have experiences which we can share with each other and, and you know, so so he brings a different lens and, and it's always very good, you know, to have this, uh, you know, camaraderie and, you know, people challenging each other. And the best thing is if you really work in a, you know, as, as, as friends and colleagues, you know, more than anything else, because the process is really to come up with the best ideas for the trust, you know, so there's no, uh, and, and if the trust does well, both of us do well, so. Mm-hmm. So as long as the objective is the same, then there's no issue at all.
0: Okay, um, well that all that makes sense. It's a global uh, portfolio, so it's good to have people uh, dotted around uh, in in key locations. Um, I'm getting towards the end of my questions, but I'm I'm, I'm curious about uh, the, the the dividend because uh, Templeton Emerging Markets is a uh, is primarily a, a, a growth uh, investment fund, uh, looking to increase shareholders' capital through uh, you know investing in the, in the themes and the opportunities that you've been talking about you know, growth uh, in the middle classes and uh, you know, just, just generally the fact that the, there's lots of good companies in the countries you're investing in. but um, the, the trust has quite a big amount of revenue reserves to support the dividend and the dividend growth has been quite good in recent years and the trust yields two and a half percent. I'm just wondering you know I, I, my question is, is the dividend becoming a more important part for this, uh, this growth fund?
1: Yeah, so I think the again it's for the board to answer in terms of the payout ratio. But generally, I think the board has distributed the earned dividends, um, and luckily for us, you know there have been improvements in corporate governance uh, within emerging markets. So companies are generating much more free cash flow, and this is all prior to COVID. And you know, COVID changes a little bit, but um, you know, companies were sharing a lot of the cash flows they were generating, and uh, they were also doing buybacks and. And, you know, the free cash flow being generated by the emerging market corporate was actually getting higher and higher as a percentage of the overall world index. So so generally, emerging market companies were generating more free cash flow and distributing that with better corporate governance. So, and we were just actually transmitting the dividends earned to the unit holders. Um, obviously, with this um, pandemic, you know, the some of the banks have been asked not to pay out the dividends. And and uh, you know companies have become slightly more cautious on on payouts uh, so so there could be an impact this year on on the earned dividends but again it's for the uh, uh, trust to uh, you know make the uh, that the board to make the decision of how much to actually pay out and that that is a prerogative of the board as well
0: absolutely yeah it's it's um, a lot of pressure on dividends everywhere but it is uh, reassuring to know that there's uh, um you know, extra money in the reserves to support the dividend uh, if the board want to do that. Clearly, there's a lot of interest amongst investors, income investors, in the in the dividends that uh, trusts like yours pay. Um, just picking up, lastly, picking up on your point about sort of governance. Um, governance and uh, ESG has become a, is a huge uh, issue for investors and fund managers nowadays. Um when you're looking for uh, sustainable uh, returns from the companies you're investing in, you know, how important are those, that that trio of factors, the environment, the social policies, and and the governance of the companies you're investing in? Um, I expect you're going to say that you've been taking those into account always, ever since you you started in the job. Um, What what is the position on uh, ESG?
1: Yeah, so, so I think governance uh, is not just when I took the job, but even when Mark was running it, you know, governance was, I think, one of the most important things which used to fight, uh, sometimes sometimes fight with companies on, and, you know, we had these cases which we had. So governance is always very important, and I think that's very critical that uh, governance, uh, you know, is, is an important part of shareholder returns. Uh, because companies then you know can sit on excess capital or can return capital to shareholders so capital allocation is a result of governance i th- i think on the ens again it's uh, important to look at it because you know, first of all andrew is uh, you know is one of the, our, our leads in in terms of the esg factors and stewardship uh, per se uh, with given his background etc but but uh, but you know on on ens um, we have to factor in uh, these elements otherwise we will not be able to arrive at sustainable learning so for example you know we have cement companies in our portfolio uh, companies manufacturing cement and it is very important because the cost of uh, the cost of uh, the environment is actually going up and and these companies are supposed to you know uh pay for carbon so if you don't factor that in how do you actually factor in sustainable earnings so so the good thing about ens is that the government's also very aware that co- companies need to focus on ens and yeah. the companies realize that the more they delay uh, the higher there will be a cost uh so i'll give you an example like for example the automobile industry in in china uh, you know the automobile industry in china uh, they are very very strict rules on, on the number of battery vehicles which need to be there and on emission, et cetera. So, so if the companies are not launching uh, battery vehicles, uh, then the cost uh, for, the, uh, for the internal combustion engine goes up quite a lot. So, so I think we have to factor that in because unless we factor that in, uh, we will not be able to arrive at, at what we consider sustainable earnings from companies.
0: That makes a lot of sense, Chetan. Just want to clarify, you you, you used the term ENS. Uh, what what does that mean?
1: E and S.
0: E Sorry. and S. E. Beg your pardon. Sorry, that's my my hearing or the uh, connection. Um, well, Chattern, uh, thanks very much for, for, for your time. I think that's all the questions I've got. Uh, it seems that, um, uh, you know, how would you sum up, you know, the, the, in a traditionally global emerging market seen as a volatile uh, asset class and the, clearly there's lots of uncertainty. Um, there always is, but there's particularly heightened uncertainty at the moment. What would be your key message to investors who are, mm, you know, not sure about whether to uh, have exposure to emerging markets in their, in their savings?
1: Yeah so I think you, you have to go back to the basics that emerging markets are over 35% of global GDP and therefore they merit some investment and 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 the trust is a good way because it gives you a diversified uh, range of companies and even at a discount as you mentioned you know there's a discount which is there in the market and the, and our performance has been reasonably good uh, over the last few years and you know we have a diversified uh, uh, portfolio Uh, We believe that emerging markets will continue. You know, there's a lot of change and innovation which is happening in emerging markets. Many of the companies are very, very resilient. Uh, We started seeing global leadership coming out of emerging market companies. You know, we talked about the trends on internet, retail, uh, semiconductors. Uh, All these are very, very powerful trends and they will remain with us for a very, very long time. Uh, Even in the new industries, you know, for example, if you look at uh, electric vehicles, which we didn't talk about, but but the battery suppliers uh, for uh, you know for the electric vehicles are basically all emerging. Most of them are emerging market companies. So there are very very solid trends. There's more electronics in the vehicle. So you know if you look at a car today, it has far more electronics, and again, electronics is coming from most of the emerging markets. Uh, pure pure consumer company uh, countries like India where you know, there's a lot of growth potential still left. Brazil, there's a lot of growth potential still left. So, so emerging markets, as you, uh, you know, is a wide array and a basket of uh, countries, each of which has their own opportunities and, and, and there are many good companies. So, you know, there are over 20,000 companies which are listed and, and for our portfolio, we just need to find a few which will do well. And, and that's, that's our belief in emerging markets and, and ourselves.
0: Absolutely. Well, it sounds from a UK perspective, it sounds like a, a good way to uh, get diversification and, uh, and, and increase the, the opportunity set of uh, finding uh, the good companies that you're, you're talking about. Well, um, thanks very much for, for talking to me, Chetton, and uh, uh, look forward to, to seeing how you uh, get on in the, in the months and, and the years ahead. But in the meantime, um, yeah, all the best. and Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. <laughs>